back to the State of Sports Media podcast from Sports and Society. This is Brad. I'm here with Kyle. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I just watched the Australia-Italy match, uh, Women's World Cup, and I don't know if you saw it, but there was a last-second goal uh-huh. um, to win 2-1. Uh, Italy had been under fire for like the last 20 minutes or so. It was 1-1, uh, and then they scored on a set piece with about 10 seconds left. Hmm. So it was pretty exciting. Do you, I mean, you obviously have a lot of experience at this point with women's soccer, uh, having coached the sport for several years. But um, do you find watching the top level of women's soccer more or less enjoyable than the top level of men's soccer? Mm, That's a tough question. (laughs) Thanks for a tough one right on the top here. I, I So I'll say it this way. When I am aware of who's playing and I have some knowledge of what's going on, I can enjoy it just as much. Uh, I will prob- I could probably tune in to Italy, Australia men's and be more interested just because I probably have a little bit more knowledge of what's going on. Uh, and so, like, I know of one player for Australia, Kerr. And I don't even know that much about her, but I know that she's like exceptional and a, a up and comer. And so in that way, I, it's always for me how much I know. But the actual gameplay, I I enjoy it probably as much, just because I I don't know I can kind of really appreciate how exceptional the women's game has become at that top level. Um, but I the the knowledge piece adds enjoyment too. So I don't know if that's a direct answer, but that's kind of what happens when I'm watching. No, it definitely is. I think about, um, you know, I, uh, um, I think I enjoy the play of, um, it, well, it all depends on the game, right? And we know, mm-hmm. if you've listened to this, you know that I like a, a game where they're really, um, there's a lot of creativity and space and, uh, you know, people making interesting decisions. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, due to the, whatever reason that um the women's game is just not played as fast as the men's game is Mm -hmm. um so like i really hate and as much as i'm an arsenal fan i hate watching them play somewhere like norwich uh where their norwich is like in their grill all game long like that is just not enjoyable for me to watch that high energy defensive play that makes the epl so special so in some ways like i really love the women's world cup because you get to see more of that space for creativity and decision making just because the game has slowed down a little bit. So on like a, I wouldn't say that like I enjoy necessarily all of the games more, but the higher end, like the knockout rounds of the women's world cup are about the most level of enjoyment I get watching a soccer game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you compare it to the champions league final, which was a total disaster just because everybody was trying to outwork everybody else and so it was sloppy because nobody had any time on the ball Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's just that's not that's not enjoyable in some ways Mm -hmm. well that's somewhat related to what i wanted to comment on one thing i was paying attention to this week was the fact that ada hegenberg the top player in the world isn't at the world cup and she's norwegian and refuses to play for the norwegian national team for Uh, multiple reasons that actually aren't 100% clear, but they're mostly clear. And it is essentially that uh, the case is the same in Norway as it is elsewhere, that the men's national team uh, has so many perks and privileges that the women's team doesn't. And it's not just about perks, but it's more systematic than that, right? It's kind of top to bottom. Uh, discrimination towards the women's national team and in Norway that's especially significant because they have the best player in the world and they're one of the top teams in the world and the men are awful and yet the (laughs) men still uh, receive a lot of advantages that the women do not and so yeah Ada Hagenberg not being there is significant and it's you know even more significant in her play in the Champions League final where she scored a hat trick in the first 16 minutes uh, of the Champions League final um, and so her not being there, I think, is uh, representative of how significant this World Cup is. And I think it is for several reasons, but primarily that uh, 
our home country's uh, women's team has a lawsuit against the federation and a bunch of other teams are working towards similar ends. And then also just the overall parity that is emerging in women's soccer is making it all the more relevant and interesting. And so it's a, it's a change. I think this world cup is different than any women's world cup before it. Uh, And it, it sucks that Ada Hegenberg's not there, but it sounds like she's pretty stout in her beliefs, which you got to respect. Yeah, and it's been fascinating to follow. I'm glad you brought it up, uh, but it's it's really fascinating. You know, it's some of the stuff she mentions that that make it different at Lyon, where she plays for her club team, mm-hmm. um, is just fascinating in terms of stuff that really doesn't cost all that much money and is just a sign of respect and caring in some ways mm-hmm. more than anything else. Like mm-hmm. it's clear that it's, you know, she's getting still getting paid way less than the men's players at Lyon. But right. the fact that they share training facilities, share um, uh, dining facilities, they have some of the same perks, like the stuff that mm-hmm. is extra often uh, is the same. And that matters. And just the, because it seems like people care more, Right. Um, which would just uh, is a huge indictment in some ways on some of these federations for just uh, not seeming to care. Right. Um, which is just so disappointing in this current age. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting I, that the, when she talks about Leon and how her life is different there than it is with the Norwegian national team, it's these really simple things often. And the U S women's national team talks about it too. It's, it's like what travel is like, mm-hmm. right? Which is a very human thing, right? There are these exceptional athletes and these, especially our women's national team, become major celebrity stars. And yet their travel budget is minimal, especially compared to the men, and their per diem salary is minimal compared to the men. And those are just straight up civil rights things, <laughs> Right. Of like, Mm -hmm. if someone is getting this and you're not because of your sex, that's just straight up discrimination by sex, which is against the law. Uh, And so in that way, it's just like so obvious. Um, And so I think it'll be interesting to see how her story plays out and where we go from here. And, you know, it's it's always significant, I think, to raise the question that like if Ronaldo didn't come to the World Cup because of a civil rights lawsuit or a civil rights discrimination issue, like the world would explode. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here we have the same thing and uh, it's becoming known, but there's still work to do. Well, I think it's also worth noting in that same vein that the, the administration and the French uh, who are hosting have come under a lot of criticism for ticket problems, but Mm -hmm. also for just not seeming to promote it particularly well. And yet, in spite of all that, they had 50,000 folks show up to their first game, which is just really cool and exciting yeah. to see. Um, yeah. You know, especially in a country where I don't think of them as being particularly forward-thinking in that regard, but they right. seem to have embraced this team. Right. And they're good. Yeah, they're really their good. team is really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you? What were you paying attention to? Well, I have been watching a lot of cricket this week. I have to say, <laughs> I love it, uh, and learning a ton. Um, yeah, and so there's several things that stood out. One being like the difference in the pitch in these games is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, like not just, I mean, uh, I think the bowling stuff, yes, but just the different sizes of the fields is something that is staggering, and you have to yeah. think about in many ways. Um, yeah. We probably need to explain what you mean by that. Well, yeah. So, right, you know more about this than I do, but like, there is no standard size for a cricket pitch, right? Right. Um, yeah, and the way they uh, design the pitches and have to carve them out for each match, it can can change even more depending on how far to one side they are, or how close, or their proximity to the middle of the overall field. And so it can change strategy drastically if they're way far to one side and a certain batsman is a pool batsman, then they might move up in the order and might be bowled differently by the other team. So it can drastically change how the game is played. 
Well, that's been, for me, one of the things that I've learned a ton about is the fielding aspect of it here. And, you know, when they put in a slip and things like this, which I had no idea about beforehand. And, yeah. Um, which is still hard to understand. It's like, I can, I can know about it, but still not fully understand it. Um, which well, I find interesting. It was, you know, it made me question, you know, I think we've talked about it on here before that even though we're boycotting football, we really appreciate the uh, strategy that goes into every single play on a football field. And I think that there's an argument to be made that there's almost as much strategy going into every single ball bowled mm-hmm. on a cricket pitch. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I also think it's fascinating and significant that you're fielding for three-plus hours. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, the, That's a big part of it. And the running aspect, too. I mean, I was always shocked that when I was in uh, – studying abroad in london and the paper was always like the english players kevin peterson is injured again and it's like well how do you get injured you play these five (laughs) there's no intensity in this you play for five days and then you watch and you're like oh there's all kinds of weird stop and start motions and weird things that you can injure yourself on and those best fielders that are playing right off leg stump they are they dive 25 times Mm -hmm. unless you're chris gale and yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't move at all, but yeah, you stand out by the perimeter and just wait to bat. <laughs> yeah, but some of those guys are diving like literally 20, 30 times. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's actually it's deceivingly physical. Well, and the torque that those uh, bowlers are putting on their legs is pretty mm-hmm. phenomenal as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also wanted to point out, and I think this is one of the reasons that I have not articulated, but one of the reasons that I love and prefer watching um european sports in some ways to american sports well a when i say european it's important to note here that there's this amazing vibe of always that they're doing this cricket world cup in england and mm-hmm. india looked phenomenal went out for one three fifty two this morning mm-hmm. against australia looking incredibly strong um and yet we all know the history between those two countries and it's right. likely that we're going to see them face each other at some point um, and when India plays, it's a home match. Yeah. <laughs> Every seat in the entire stadium is filled by an Indian fan. Well, I texted you this week about how amazing the ads are on mm-hmm. the cricket matches because half of them are in Hindi, of all, right. <laughs> even in the U.S. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also, one of the things I appreciate, and there's someone that pointed out this to me a long time ago, and I forget where I read it, but it was at that point it was brought up in regard to men's versus women's sports, and that part of the reason that women's sports are not as successful is that men watch sports, at least in part, to see what the ideal male physique is supposed to be, whereas women don't view the the the, the athletic body quite the same way. I don't want to get into that right now, whatever. But I will say that I enjoy that these cricketers and that soccer players are not huge in the way that it seems like every American athlete feels the need to get huge um, right. to compete. That like So Hardik Pandya for the, India today is their massive hitter uh, or batter, but he's not. he looks like you know what we would consider a middle-distance runner. He doesn't right. look like he's right. like our batters and those kind of folks. And I just... There's something off-putting about the, how big American athletes feel like they need to be. That's interesting. It, it That makes me think a lot about the overall masculinity piece. Mm. And I'm sure if we were more nuanced to what toxic masculinity looks like in these other countries, we would see a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. But I'm always struck by it's a different version of masculinity. Uh, that is displayed by the the athletes, and so I always similarly kind of find that interesting. Hmm. Um, I feel like it's also worth pointing out that Ash Barty, who won the French Open yesterday, took two years off of tennis because she was just worn out and played professional cricket for those two years without <laughs> ever having played cricket before. Hmm. Uh, and apparently, she was really good. Um, she led her team in run scored uh, one season. Well, it is worth noting, I think, that um, as the Cricket World Cup is happening in England, the ICC Women's Championship for cricket is also happening in England at the same time. Right. Which I can't imagine 
when when that's happening, who is showing up to those matches? Right. Right. Um, yeah, I wonder what their decision making is on that. But anyway, shall we talk about the ringer? Let's do it. All right. So this week we're digging into the ringer, which is kind of our first foray into one of the new media kind of type things that's out there. And uh, I guess I'm intrigued just to start off and uh, I can give mine as well, but I'm intrigued kind of how you define the ringer in your mind, Kyle. Uh, I think for me, the ringer is a place to uh, imbibe in pop culture and sports and where the two cross over. And so I know that I'm when I'm going to the ringer, I'm going to get a lot of pop culture and as I become more and more of an old man, I know that I'm going to go to a website that's talking about things I don't know about, <laughs> uh, that being the pop culture piece. Um, the ringer also is I know I'm going to get NBA and NFL uh, if I go there. Um, and so I think for me personally, in the last couple of years, it's mostly been a place to get a little bit more NBA information or a little bit different angle on the NBA uh, than what comes out of ESPN. Um, what about you? I would agree with that. In some ways, I separate out the NBA stuff. Um, and so just as a little bit of backstory here, right, that um, this was a, a website and podcast network essentially founded by Bill Simmons of fame for f- starting Grantland, one of our favorite things at ESPN, uh, and then trying to take that model and tweak it after he left ESPN to make it something new. Uh, and so it's very much formed in his image and his interests, which I think is why we have so much pop culture and basketball with football as a, like a one B type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I really enjoy the basketball coverage and I kind of separate that out from everything else. I think that they have basketball coverage that is as good as almost anybody else out there uh, mm-hmm. with the possible exception of somebody like Zach Lowe. Um, mm-hmm. But the other stuff, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, the pop culture stuff, you know, we'll get to this a little bit later with our sustainability question, but you, you said, or uh, the mainstream question, but they very much do live in this kind of mainstream culture digging into it. And so, you know, with they did a bunch of Game of Thrones stuff, and then they did a bunch of, they're doing a bunch of big little lies stuff right now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's an interesting world, a place that I think you and I find uncomfortable, but at the same time, it's probably been a smart play for them in many, many ways. Indeed, yeah. And I, I think to further that point a little bit, I think for us, Grantland, I would describe as more sports and society. Mm-hmm. We're of the mantra of what we're about. And there was a piece of the ringer within Grantland, but it was much smaller. And I would almost, I, I don't mean it in a pejorative sense, but it's the ringer is sillier mm. than Grantland, whereas I've found Grantland to be quite serious. And Ringer has serious journalism, but not as much as Grantland. Uh, and similarly, I think the the mainstream pop culture that the Ringer engages with kind of comes from this place of like, oh, you find that really interesting? Well, come here for 10 reasons why you find it interesting and 20 reasons of why you should find it more interesting. <laughs> Uh, kind of a, a approach to covering that which is mainstream. And it's, you know, I think it's, um, you mentioned that you often have to struggle to find the article that you really want to read. And I, mm-hmm. I will agree with that. But I will say that they do still have, it, it's kind of like, in some ways, I don't remember the rate. Grantland feels like an age ago in many ways. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah you know, the hit rate on there was so good. I think mm-hmm. that we see this is just that they've broadened in some ways. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how many employees Grantland had at their height, but, you know, we're talking 100-plus people at this point working at Grantland and a number of writers. I think we found that there are still those really good pieces to be found. They're just now you have to look through a lot of other stuff to find those really good pieces. 
Yeah, that's my exact experience is they're still there. You have to put in a little bit of work, whereas on Grantland, there were like eight of them on the front page when you went there. Well, I think it's also interesting to note that um, I you mentioned silliness. I kind of snark is the word that comes to mind for me in many ways. Yeah. Um, and I'm intrigued to kind of dive into this with you that um, I think that I there are times when I deeply appreciate the way that they can indulge sports and also limit the real value that sports puts in. And and so in some ways I appreciate that they've made it sports and entertainment commodity as opposed to trying to impress the seriousness of it on us, which mm-hmm. I think is what ESPN is so good at, that this is sports is the world. And I think Ringer wants to say, no, sports is fun. The world right. exists outside of this. Um, right. Right, which I really enjoy in certain formats. So I think about Shea Serrano is like, I think phenomenal, um, in terms of like walking that line that this is stupid, but I'm going to invest time in showing you how stupid it is because it's fun, and right. we'll do that. And same with right. they have the NBA desktop show, which I quite enjoy for like making fun of what's happening in the NBA right now. But right. there comes a point in some ways when it's not not as helpful and not as interesting and it gets stale. Um, right. And so I think a lot of the articles wind up in that place for me that yeah. some of the more creative out- outlets like desktop allow them to do that in a way that's more meaningful than, you know, 500 words on, on something. Um, right. And we could probably say even more about this. And so we can kind of get into this here and if you want, but it it's for me having, paid attention to bill simmons since i was 15 years old so geez 20 years of bill simmons in my life (laughs) but it's like seemingly that's what he discovered is that there was space for snark and sports coverage Mm -hmm. uh or at least he may not have discovered it but he was the best at exploiting it and so this in some ways seems like the culmination of 20 years of exploiting that snark and i agree with you i just when it's overdone, it becomes a little stale. Well, that's where I think I go back to um, our comment a few weeks ago when you were ripping into Rick Riley. I think it's some of the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That I think that it takes a very special person to be able to do it well, and that's where I Mm -hmm. think my admiration for Shea Serrano and Jason Concepcion comes in in some ways, that these are guys that I think can go to that deep place and yet also choose to live in the shallow place sometimes where I'm not sure that Bill and Rick could go to the deep place in the same way. I mean, there's certainly been, I think you and I have even commented on this, that there have been certain times on the podcast, Bill's podcast where he'll be deeply uncomfortable with things like that Chuck Klosterman are saying. Right. Um, and that's where I think he and Gladwell get along so well is because they kind of live in that same space in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that fully. Um, well, you want to rank them? Yeah, let's do that. All right. All right, let's uh, let's see here. We've got, for quality of articles, essays, journalism, we've got them coming in at a 15. I think that that that's really comes down to the inconsistency in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that their top-end stuff, like, um, uh, I think that I've had problems with their binge mode podcast because it's interfered with my enjoyment of Game of Thrones this final season. Yeah. Um, uh, like, come on, guys! It's it's enjoy it, just enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the same yeah. time, their Harry Potter stuff was phenomenal, um, and yet um, they also have weird other things like this Big Little Lies stuff that I just can't can't get my head around. Right, um, and I think it, that makes me think is worth pointing out what we've mentioned in a sideways uh, manner here a bunch of times already is that. The Ringer is about podcasts, uh, and I think Bill Simmons is unapologetically pushing toward podcasts as much as he possibly can and squeezing as much as he possibly can at it and seeing how far it can be taken. Right. Uh, and I remember him talking about this uh, when he first got in trouble with ESPN. is on the air on the BS report talking about how ESPN was – pushing back against his podcasting and they wanted him to write more. Uh, and he like, um, was 
lashing out at ESPN on air uh, about them wanting about them wanting him to write more. And here he is at the Ringer pushing podcasts as hard as he possibly can. Well, I do think it's worth noting in that same vein that that's definitely where they thrive. That I think their podcast stuff is where they do their best work. Mm-hmm. That's part of our disappointment, I think, in some ways, that when we go to the site, we don't see the same level of work in some ways that goes into the podcasts. Um, right. Uh, it is interesting. I, there's a great quote that I stumbled upon while I was out looking at this that apparently uh, Bill commented on BuzzFeed, who pivoted to yeah. do podcasts and then failed at it. And he said, that's essentially like saying, and then saying, well, then BuzzFeed was like, podcasts don't work. And Bill's like, well, that's like going to the Hawks and saying, basketball and NBA sucks. And it's like, well, yeah, if you do it poorly, it sucks. But. Right. Yeah. That was a great sound bite. He's good at those. He is. He, 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 I'll give him credit on things like that. Is he, he can point out the absurdity of uh, market capitalism in sports uh, better than most. Well, it's yeah. worth while we're mentioning this, it's worth noting that um, I don't know if you came upon these numbers, but 15 million in ads from their podcast in 2018. Yeah, um, and an estimated around four million from website ads. So we know where their money is coming from and where their energy is going to. Right. Which is that's a lot of money off podcasts. It's a lot of money, which is, but when you break it down, it's very interesting. You know, they're talking twenty five to fifty dollars per a thousand listens. So we're talking, right. you know, in the last quarter of twenty eighteen, they averaged thirty five million downloads per month, which is just amazing. Yeah, to think about. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to tell you how many people are listening to this, but it's not that many. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it might be a lot. It all depends on your perspective. Well, I think it's also you know, but we don't we don't release financials publicly. We we do not. No, we we We're don't. We're not going public. We don't want to shame the folks out there. But yeah. we will say, Ringer Network, if you're interested in taking us on, we love you and would love to be part of your network. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, that just made me think we need to be uh, a little more. Uh... <laughs> we will we will pimp Casper mattresses all day long for you. <laughs> oh, that makes me think it would be fun to do like fake ads. <laughs> <laughs> oh my or ads write write copy ads for like things we really love <laughs> as a pitch to them yes <laughs> this week at my local independent bookstore <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should yeah. all we should be like, you know, this week I'm reading this really fabulous book. Um have you heard of this? You know, we should all go out and invest in this <laughs> at our local bookstore. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh man. Well, let's talk well, about uh yeah, diversity of voices here. We rank them about a sixteen. What do you think about yeah. them? Yeah, I think for uh a lot of the websites and outlets and media companies that we come across, they do better than most uh, in the sense that there's intention, I think, uh, in how they gather a certain type of voice and the voices that they want to continue to be part of what they're doing. And so I see this in their podcasts and you see it heavily in the writing. Um, and so in that way, I, I think, yeah, top category is definitely warranted. Well, I think that they really push out some of their female voices and that they've really brought in some interesting voices of color too, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is part of the interest in being able to straddle genre lines that I think it gives them a little more flexibility mm-hmm. in some ways. But I do think, I also want to point out here that one of the things that I really appreciate about The Ringer, as much as you know, you and I may think that Bill as a hype man has gone down over time, which I think uh, is we would say um i have to give him a lot of credit for empowering the people in his organization mm-hmm. and i think there's a real sentiment and you know i don't know what's going on there but it really feels like if you want to write something and you feel passionate about it there's a space for you to write about it for the ringer mm-hmm. um so if you if you write about basketball all the time but you stumble upon something in tv that really interests you they're willing for you to go and write about that um right and vice versa and it, it just you know, i think about um one of their writers zach cram 
who does a lot of their research for Game of Thrones type stuff, writes on Game of Thrones, women's soccer, Major League Baseball, and basketball, which you just, there's not many other places that would trust somebody to write on all those different things. Right. Yeah, I'm willing to give him that. Uh, I'm also not willing to give him too much more than that. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if you spend 15 minutes listening to Bill Simmons, uh, I just don't find it all that impressive anymore. And in fact, I find him becoming a little bit more tone deaf. And Mm -hmm. I hear, and I don't, this may be too harsh, but a lot of feigned wokeness. Um, And I guess I'm backing that up with how much of a little baby he was about what happened at ESPN and how he still can't stop talking about it. (laughs) Uh, And even more so of how he's marketed himself and that he even thought he was worthy of an HBO show. (laughs) Those types of things. I'm like, ah, you still think you're pretty awesome. And I would imagine when he gets the numbers back every quarter on podcast downloads and he sees himself at the top that it comes with a certain amount of like, yeah, that's about right kind of thing. So I'm not going to give him too much. Well, I'll still, I'll still work for your website. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, it was, you know, um, I think that that's where it kind of turned downhill for me. I used to listen to his stuff a lot yeah. It's become more about him and less about the guest, which is exactly. what what has troubled me about him. Exactly. And I, yeah. I'm sure that that is based on numbers and experience and all that. It's just not, I think, the direction we would have liked to see it go. Um, yeah. So political engagement. Yeah. So we have, we have them at a 16 mm-hmm. and... Um, so they have a political drop down. So they cover politics, uh, and I think the nature in which they cover it is definitely more of a higher level of engagement than uh, something like ESPN or even other Sports Illustrated, Yahoo. They uh, they have an angle, uh, and it's it's the angle of their audience, which is probably this. Um, group of people that is our age and that are watching these shows and caring about these things the way we are so in that way i think they're worthy of a higher rating yeah that's right there mixed in and part of the content with everything else which i think is interesting and you know they haven't shied away from it in the podcast realm either pod save america was kind of uh, born on the ringer network before branching out and doing their own thing um uh, and so that's been fascinating to see that, by the way, on its own, apparently makes about four to five million dollars a year as a podcast, which is staggering to think about. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think they do an interesting job and they don't shy away from it. And I think it's that same freedom that I think that they kind of trust their writers to say interesting things. And if that interesting thing has to be about politics and they're willing to go there in a way that the editorial folks at ESPN are not willing to go there. Right. Yeah, the the overall mission of the website is be creative and do mm-hmm. good journalism, and that will sell. Whereas uh, ESPN has much larger Leviathan-like uh, media responsibilities and shareholder responsibilities, yeah. and the Ringer does not. Um, do you like going to the website? I I think it's fine. Um... You know, and it's interesting that in some ways our judgments on the website are really about our judgments of Vox, which is an interesting question in and of itself um, because they're doing it through Vox's platform. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, and I don't find it a particularly compelling thing. And I think that it's an interesting way in some ways that, um, you know, you and I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that we are not big fans of the filter bubble type world where um, when you go on ESPN and Facebook and Twitter, it shows you what it thinks you want to see. Right. I think that what we see with the ringer is in some ways the problem with old school stuff where you have to wade through the other stuff. And we realize that, well, I actually quite enjoyed when ESPN filters out all the crap that I don't want to read. It's when they filter out the, some of the stuff that's political that I they don't think I want to read that it perhaps gets problematic. Right. Um, 
but that's kind of my experience is that it doesn't feel uh it doesn't feel it takes a lot of energy in some ways to get through their website yeah i agree and that that's exactly how i would describe it is that i have to be very intentional when i go to the website and really want to go there uh whereas i'm i'm i know that when i'm going to go there i'm not going to see uh, 80% of the content uh, appealing to me. Uh, and so in that way, what do we have them, um, 13? Uh, yes. Yeah. So the actual just being on the website is not necessarily really enjoyable, but it's also not that terrible. No. You know, it, it, it's not a bad experience to be on their actual website. Um well, I think this is where the other stuff comes in, that they're so good at the podcasting stuff, too, that that raises it up a bit. And it is, right. I mean, I'm just looking at it right now that, like, you know, they've got a big headline up here for the Raptors, NBA stuff, NBA Warriors, Raptors. Um, and then, like, you know, if you go down a little bit, there's an article here about Lindsay Horan and her time with the UN Women's National Team and how she left to play overseas. And that's a fascinating story, and yet it's not the difficulty of us finding it in some ways is uh, in some ways what we're remarking on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what, what about the talent that they're bringing in? So I got to give them a ton of credit that they're bringing in interesting voices. Um, you know, we give them a 16 here. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're building stuff in-house. And so I, I go back to Shea Serrano and Jason Concepcion, who I think are folks that they've kind of groomed and grown yeah. in that Grantland ringer space, um, which yeah. I think is an interesting way. But then they've also bringing in folks like Ryan Russillo and, and you know, Vince Carter and J.J. Redick, some of these interesting folks that have and want a platform that they're willing to trust them with that platform. And so it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that we'll continue to see that grow. I mean, we certainly see... Um, particularly some of the stuff. I was intrigued by the Ryan Russillo stuff because he's still technically with ESPN, but they've worked out a deal where he can be with both. Uh, and I think we'll see more of that, and that, that stuff will only grow more with time. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting, too, to see. Uh, I just lost the name of the website uh, where the writers write only for that website um, or can sell their stuff to that website. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you um, lost me there, man. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Let me back up. <laughs> uh, the point I wanted to wind up at when I started that uh, was to say I think they would benefit from a drop down of writers, mm. uh, similar to what SI has, um, because I, I I think what you're saying are these things of having people like Concepcion and uh, Ryan Russillo, even though he's not much of a writer, uh, they're they're big names um, and become bigger. I think when you put a little bit of celebrity around them, mm-hmm. and so I think they would benefit from that. Whereas now I want to point out more and further the point I made before that the only name that is in any of the drop downs is Bill Simmons. <laughs> So, I mean, just think, so if you click on, if you scroll over more, it says uh, politics, tech, MLB, NFL, music, pop culture, and Bill Simmons. So Bill Simmons is as big as concepts and leagues. (laughs) Just want to point that out. (laughs) Um, But nonetheless, they do have big names. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I think we can see that growing. I was, uh, in some ways, really interested that, um, they won an Emmy with NBA desktop this year, which shows that that there's a new appreciation for some of that talent and how it's being used, springing up in some of the more traditional media places. So I'll be intrigued to see how that kind of continues. Yeah. When to segue their relationship with advertising, uh, I think it's pretty good. Ultimately, um, it's somewhat related to me with enjoyment from visiting of it's not terrible and it's not amazing. Um, and this is also too with the thing with a media outlet like ringer that is writing and podcasts is it's two different ways of, uh, negotiating the world of advertising. Mm -hmm. So if their whole thing is going to be podcast, then you're going to get a lot of ads. But I think you mentioned that they're not that big a deal to you. No, that like, you know, um, 
they I think they do a better job of integrating it into their coverage than they would otherwise. Um, and, you know, and I guess I just don't, they've, they've built that expectation. So I don't feel taken advantage of in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also, I think, you know, part of this that we haven't really discussed with this advertising question is it always comes down to um, value. And so if we didn't see value in the content, any advertising is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the problem we might see when we come up with something like Deadspin is that like there's a ton of advertising. And then when you scroll through it, the content doesn't give you anything either. And so that just makes the advertising even more annoying. Right. Um, but then I'll also give them credit for uh, doing a good job, I think, of integrating their stuff into it. So if they're doing a Harry Potter podcast and they need to pimp something about Casper Mattresses, who for a while seem to be all over everything, yeah. um, they'll find some way to integrate a story of like who they think in the Harry Potter universe would use a Casper Mattress, something like that, that makes it so it's not just a... Um, not just a bald face commercial in some ways. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to Conan O'Brien's podcast at all? I have not. It's worth listening to for because it's I find it great. Um, it's, it's it's a really good outlet for him. Uh, he's actually like three times as funny and as good at podcasts as he is hosting a television show. <laughs> okay. Um, and so that, that it's it's really worth listening to, I think. But it's also fascinating that he's doing advertisements different than any podcast I've ever listened to. As hmm. uh, he makes some um, comedy bits, uh, and so he takes the copy that was written for him from the companies and essentially just mocks it uh, and makes fun of it and does characters within it and riffs on it. And so the ads are like three minutes long, but it's mostly him just like completely riffing uh and they're legitimately funny it's like you kind of look forward to the ads because they're funny uh which is fascinating so i've never skipped an ad on conan's podcast but on every other podcast i listen to i skip the ads Mm -hmm. um so just something to point out there well i think that that's also the interesting thing in some ways with the podcast ads is that they are skippable Mm -hmm. uh, which makes them different than ads on the website which are just always there right right all right well i think uh, we're about to really go hard on them here with their coverage of non-stream sports because uh uh, we're giving them a three because they don't do any (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean in some ways you could go lower uh i i I mean they they exist to not cover non-mainstream so in that way it's it's only if something like bizarre or hilarious or super weird or significant comes out of non-mainstream that it shows up. Uh, and I, I can't remember ever reading an article on their website about something non-mainstream. No, I mean, I think that, like, you know, they've got a music article up now that's about Earth, Wind, and Fire. And, you know, I think that they can go there, but it's always in a very hipster way. Yeah. They're never going to go there in a way. I mean, they might write about esports, but they're going to do it in a way that is hipsterish and going to tell us why this is relevant, even though it's or why it's mainstream, even though it's not mainstream for us necessarily. So, right. um, they're very yeah. good at pitching their stuff to the audiences they know exist. I think right. is one way of putting that. So. Yeah, I like that couching a lot. So, do you think they'll last? I do. Um, so the, I just I pulled out some numbers this morning um, that I stumbled upon. That they it's interesting. A um, they're a little bit lower than where they were. So in as of April thirtieth, twenty eighteen, um, their Alexa ranking, which is ranking them as a website amongst all other worldwide websites, was two thousand seventy seven. Um, they've now dropped. Um, they're in the. They're down to. 33, 3385th, um, 693rd most visited website in the United States. But to give that a frame of reference, Sports Illustrated is at 2,835, um, 647th in the U.S. So they are almost in the same space with Sports Illustrated, even though that's not their main revenue model through right. the website, which I think speaks to 
the fact that they're probably never going to be at the very top, but they're very sustainable. Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, Bill Simmons's podcast has been top ten for ten years, mm-hmm. uh, and for a long time he was like seven years the number one sports podcast. I mean, they're they're moving towards podcast isn't ill advised, right? They they have their research and they have their reasons for doing it, and um, moreover, I I. I see their model just kind of being a sustainable one in the sense that they're not trying to be uh, ESPN. They're not trying to be um, even like a a major network or something like that. Whereas I don't know if we would say the same for Bleacher Report or SB Nation. Um, And so in that way, I think that they're not trying to be something that would be unsustainable as adding to the likelihood of lasting. Well, I think this is one of the places, again, where I want to give, you know, I think the one of the biggest takeaways from this podcast may be, um, at least for me, that I've got a lot of respect for Bill Simmons in terms of building a business model. I just want him to get out of the spotlight in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think, you know, he's talked about how this was profitable even back in 2017, which in 2017, this appeared to be a shambles to everyone on the outside. Right. Um, which makes it really interesting that I think they've got a very clear vision of how to make money off of this, which makes it very interesting. They've not gone after VC funding, which is incredibly telling. They know what they want to be, and they're going after it. And being successful, the staff continues to grow. Their ad revenue of, you know, if they're pulling in $20 million a year, that's um, that's pretty daggone significant uh, for right. what they're doing. Um uh, and then on top of that, that they have backing from some very interesting folks in Vox and HBO who I think are riding high right now, but that they're insulated a little bit from those as well, that they're not necessarily going to fall apart if Vox falls apart, that I think that they've got a little bit of separation from that in some ways, which I think is a good thing. Um, so all in all, I'm very, I wouldn't say very bullish on they'll be here in 20 years, but I think for the next 10 years, they'll probably be a staple of right. this space. Right. Um, and segueing that with ownership responsibility, you mentioned HBO, you mentioned Vox, you mentioned that they aren't with any venture capital companies. Uh, and so for those reasons, we have them at a 16. Is that right? Yeah. So we grade them pretty highly just because they've been able to do this without selling out in many ways. Also makes me think we should reorganize our rubric. I think so. Yeah, like ownership responsibility should go, go well with sustainability. <laughs> um, and I like ending on the question of if they're good for the world. Yeah. So what do you think? Are they good for the world? Um, I can't give them too much because I'm going to compare them to The Guardian, uh, <laughs> which we gave as high as we can. Uh, so we have them at an 11, and I feel like that is pretty fair, maybe even generous a little bit in the sense that, um, you know, it, it, it's a deeper question of what do we make of pop culture, I think is what we're asking uh, in a lot of ways when we ask if the ringer is good for the world. Um, so they're they're hitting a lot of the boxes of incorporating diverse voices, uh, their coverage of politics with an angle. Um, I think they would definitely fall on the left side of almost everything. Uh, so they're certainly not mainstream in the sense that they want to uh, adhere to some massive institution like Disney, but they are mainstream in that they're covering... Uh, products that are produced by those big institutions. Hmm. Uh, And so in that way, I would have trouble putting them super high. Well, I guess I think it's interesting. I think there are two different ways to look at this. There's the one that I think that there is an overall societal benefit to kind of promoting the enjoyment of sports while diminishing the life-changing importance of sports. Um, but that that's counteracted by inflating the importance of pop culture. And so I think that's where they come down that middle space for me, that if they were to just do sports culture in a way that promotes sports just as a means of entertainment and not as 
important as ESPN makes them. I think I would have probably put them higher than ESPN. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they bring in the um, pop culture and the, in my mind, what can be a fairly destructive media of pop culture means that I just can't go too high with them. Mm-hmm. I was just talking about this last night with McKay. And when I was talking about Grantland versus The Ringer, what popped in my mind was when uh, Grantland slash Bill Simmons sent Rembert Brown, uh, who at the time was like 20, I think, uh, to Ferguson mm. uh, on like day one when Ferguson really started to uh, become so uh, incendiary and left Rembert Brown there the whole time. Uh, and so there was like essentially a tab on the website for a while of like what's going on in Ferguson. Mm. And so I guess I would use that to, as kind of like a point of comparison or contrast rather that, you know, they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, the ringer has pulled away from that. And, uh, you know, Charles Pierce wrote for Grantland, uh, a hyper political sports columnist for sports illustrated. Uh, you know, he's not writing for the ringer. Um, and so in that way, uh, I, I'm going to compare him to Grantland, even though Bill Simmons always says he doesn't want to do that, but I'm going to do it. Uh, and say in that way, I, I, I feel comfortable about putting him around an 11. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's unfortunately you're always going to have to live in that shadow. And, yeah, you know, maybe they'll – I'm intrigued. You know, I think they have great potential to kind of do more interesting things. And I think that, you know, with the upcoming political campaign uh, – presidential campaign i would not be surprised for us to come back to this in a year and be way more complimentary than we have that's a great point point. um yeah but at this point they're not focused in that direction um Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah so that winds us up all told at a 134 which puts us above sports illustrated and just less than espn which i think is an interesting and mm-hmm. the more i think about it probably appropriate place for them to land um it makes me think i i, I bet at first glance i would have predicted they'd be higher than espn i think i would have too but yeah um, based on our pro guardian rubric <laughs> <laughs> they drop a little below uh, <laughs> I do want to share um, a couple other statistics that I stumbled upon this morning while we're kind of sticking in this space. Please do. Um, so, A, in this website ranking, ESPN comes in at 102 in the world, 23rd in the United States. Um, and interestingly, The Guardian, which I expected to be somewhere in the 500 range, is actually 136 um, in the 114th most popular website in the United States. Interesting. Um and more, they get more visitors from the U.S. than they do from the U.K. 25% of their visitors are from the U.S., 24 from U.K., um, which is it, very interesting to me. Um, but then there's also uh, a different way of looking at this, which is that, um, uh, A, uh, let me just point out that ESPN peaks during football season, it appears, um, which is an interesting thing to know. Yeah, um, yeah. But then if you also look at The Ringer and Sports Illustrated, where the websites that were visited directly before coming to The Ringer or Sports Illustrated, Mm. 5.5% of the people that go to The Ringer and 3.5% of the folks that are going to SI are coming directly from ESPN's website, which means they're like typing in the address for The Ringer or going to their favorite for Sports Illustrated, Mm. uh, which is really interesting. And it kind of speaks to this thing that I think is kind of universal where people go to ESPN when they start looking at their sports news and then branch out from there, which is just really fascinating to me. Yeah. It it makes me think of uh, what podcasts will be in 10 years. Mm. What, how, how will that work? And I, I think of uh, how powerful the New York times, the weekly is mm-hmm. and how it's almost like, the number one downloaded podcast every day uh and what what that means for overall media consumption going forward those types of numbers well it does and it makes me think you know that all of these folks have got to have other streams of revenue which i think will be interesting when we get into somebody like sb nation or deadspin whose primary product is 
the um, website because I think in all of the places so far, I mean, ESPN, you know, it's was really the the TV station, and then the website has been an add-on, and Sports Illustrated is right. a magazine, and then the website is an add-on. The right. Guardian is a newspaper, first and foremost, even if most of their viewers are now doing it through the website. Right. Um, and The Ringer is predominantly a podcast network as opposed to a website. It makes me think about, like, you know, what percentage of revenue for the New York Times or some of these failing uh, news ventures is coming from podcasts as opposed to um, right. their traditional revenue streams. And right. can a purely website-based endeavor work in this time and and era it makes me think it would be really interesting if we we could uh invite someone that studies journalism on um you know of how fascinating they would be here to to hear someone that is really um tuned in to how this stuff is working and where it's headed because i read an article that uh quoted bill simmons as saying he thinks espn has finally figured it out uh, and he actually is like uh, more complimentary of ESPN now <laughs> because they're changing their model. Uh, and he points holi- holistically towards ESPN Plus hmm. and that they're going to start charging subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the long form play out of that is these massive media institutions that have been in place since World War One uh, are going to continue to come down but maybe not go away uh and so in that way like the new york times will become just kind of this uh another outlet uh that's using the same model that is this more equal niche model um and so what that means for sports will be fascinating i think of uh, what becomes acceptable and laudable and applauded in in our sports society well, what are you going to pay attention to this week, man? Uh, I'm currently watching the French Open. Uh, and so Rafa, of course, won the first set. Um, but team pushed him a little bit in the first set. So it'll be interesting to see if he can push him at all. But pretty sure Rafa's going to win. Uh, I think this is his 12th, right? Oh, yeah. Rafa. <laughs> Yeah, the 12 French Open thing is pretty exceptional. It's got to be one of the more standout sports statistics of our lifetime, I would say. So, um, I mean, like, if you've listened to this podcast, you know my disdain for Brooks Kapka and mm-hmm. Dustin Johnson. Rafael Nadal is the Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kapka of tennis, and yet he's won a bunch more, which makes tennis just, uh, come on. Did you just compare Rafa to the two biggest bros in the United States of America? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rafa wore capris when he came on tour. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not the bro aspect. It's the, he just is more physical than everybody else, which is the, like, the last thing I want to watch in sports. Mm -hmm. That's why I didn't like LeBron. It's because he's just more physical. That's why I didn't like Shaq. It's the same with DJ and Capcut. They're just stronger and can hit the ball farther. I don't, that's not enjoyable for me. And so, in that same way that, like, as soon as I see Brooks Capcut's leading going into round three, I'm just not going to watch the rest of the tournament. It's the same way when I see Rafa is in the finals of the French Open. I no longer care about the match, which is sad because I want to, I want to watch some tennis. Right. Right. Team actually plays a very similar style to Rafa, I think, too. Like I, I want to, I want somebody that plays really nice serve and volley game to make it far in the men's world these days. And that's part of why I like Djokovic is because I feel like there's enough mix of everything in his game mm-hmm. um, that I can enjoy that. But anyway, yeah, I'll get off my hot take <laughs> box here. What about you? What are you going to pay attention to? So I'm pretty jazzed for the Women's World Cup uh, mm-hmm. and to watch the U.S. this week and. Yeah. Um I have to say I was not impressed in their final warm-up game. Um and we'll be interested to see uh, what happens because I know that what's going to happen is that Carly Lloyd is going to save the day and make me look like a complete ass again. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. But well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to getting to know some of the players I haven't watched much yet. Um 
Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's some exciting folks out there, I think, to be in that space. You know, Lindsay Horn, who I mentioned, The Ringer did a really interesting thing on earlier. And um, this person whose first name is Mallory, whose last name is escaping me at the moment. Um, the plays on the wing looks really exciting mm -hmm. as well. Um, so who knows? It'll be interesting to follow. Yep, it'll be fun. Very good. Well, um, we'll talk about something else next week. Since you mentioned paywalls, it makes me want to do the, the athletic next week. You have any interest in doing that? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we'll, we'll be back next week to talk about the athletic. And in the meantime, uh, give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this. And we hope you have a great week. And let us know if you have anything to say. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, man.